service like this. So many very enriching aspects of God's family. We're going to be looking at God's word and uh, we're doing a series entitled Improving Our God Esteem, which is one of the most important things that uh, we need to prioritize in our lives. And um, we're looking at Isaiah 40, which really helps us to appreciate the, the greatness of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, in this congregation, there are so many hearts that long to see you and know you in a deeper way, to experience you in a, in a greater capacity. And uh, thank you that we can even attempt to do that this morning as we open your word. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was in university back in the day, that would be way back, just after the last Stegosaurus disappeared into the tar pits, I came across a disturbing announcement in the campus newspaper, which said, God is dead. Prime Minister orders flags at half-mast. Succession in doubt as all creation groans. And then it said, the eminent deity died late yesterday during major surgery designed to correct a massive diminishing influence. Well, that could have been the headline in the Babylonian Herald when the captives arrived in the heart of that evil empire. Previously, they had believed that their God was almighty. Nothing could defeat him. That's why they felt so secure in the promised land. Their eternal bodyguard would protect them from harm. But now, their city was a pile of debris. How could that happen? This tragedy made them question, how great is our God? Maybe not as great as we thought. Now what? Well, that was the situation Isaiah's prophecy was addressing. Isaiah says, let me tell you something about how great our God is. And he's just giving us a few little samples. Verse 12 of chapter 40, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. Now this is anthropomorphic imagery. Isaiah is depicting truth about our eternal God in human terms that we can visualize. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. So here's the Pacific Ocean in God's hand. He can hold it there without spilling it. 63 million square miles of tidal waves and tsunamis, sprinkled with naval fleets and aircraft carriers, super tankers, over 80,000 ships, and billions of fish, including humpback whales and octopus and leafy sea dragons, and the Great Barrier Reef. He can hold all of that in his hand. Somebody should write a song about that, don't you think? How great is our God? who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens. Isaiah pictures the hand of God extending across the universe to infinity and beyond, from the hydro constellation to the helix nebula. It's seasoned with star clusters and pulsars, supernovas, gas giants, black holes, over 46 trillion stars, 
not including Comet, Cupid, Sneezy, and Grumpy. All of those contained within the span of his hand. Now, they're all beyond our reach. We've only made it to the moon. And now we're toying with the idea of possibly exploring Mars. Wow. I mean, why? That would be the greatest event in the history of the universe, wouldn't it? I mean, we are so amazing. We have walked on the moon. We've cloned sheep. We've deciphered the genetic code. We've got Google. We created the Baconator. Are we awesome or what? How do you like me now? Do you think God is impressed with our scientific technology? Can we now match wits with him? How great is our God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on a scale, the hills on a balance. Here's a picture of God sprinkling dust on the earth to create mountain ranges. He sprinkles a little over there, that'll be the Rockies, and a little, oh, that's a little bit too much, we'll call those the Himalayas. I mean, we're dealing for proportions here we simply can't fathom. I have climbed up Mount Allen at Nakiska about six times, and that's 5,000 feet from the base where you start to the summit. So that's like going up and down the Empire State Building five times in one day. It was exhausting, but that's nothing. There's mountains three times as high. I don't know how many have died in the ascent of Everest. But to our creator, it's nothing more than dust particles. How great is our God? You think he ever worries that someday we might storm the gates of heaven and overthrow his government? And while we're speaking about dust, verse 15 says, Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He wails the islands as though they were fine dust. Now we've got some more dust. Dust on the scales, the kind that they would use in the marketplace to weigh produce and goods for their customers. We still use weigh scales when we want to check our critical mass. And that's always a tense moment. Because the important thing when you're weighing yourself is you want to get an accurate reading. So you have to eliminate any excess weight. So before you get on the scale, make sure you clip your fingernails, pluck your eyebrows, brush your teeth, eliminate any dead weight. And if you've got time, take a shower, get some of that accumulated topsoil off. And if possible, a good healthy sneeze can help. We don't want to have any extra weight inflating the numbers. And of course, the most important reminder is to dust the scale. Most of us forget to do that. You can't have all those dust particles increasing the gravity of the situation. Do you do that? Of course not, because dust is inconsequential. It's almost lighter than air. How great is our God? To God, the nations are dust on the scales. Back in the days of the Nixon administration, Secretary of State Henry Kissinger would often begin the meetings in the Oval Office by saying, the decisions we must make today will affect the whole future course of human history. Really? All you're doing is stirring up a little dust. 
I mean, China and Europe and the US and Russia and, and India and Asia have absolutely no impact on God's sovereignty. They cannot interfere with any of his promises or plans. Verse 17 says, Before him all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Weighed on the scales of eternity, the world's superpowers are as nothing. Well, actually, that's an exaggeration. It says here they're actually less than nothing. Now, how much is that? Less than nothing. If you had a million dollars in your bank account and a hacker got in and left you a balance of 0.00, you would have nothing. Well, this is less than that. If you were overdrawn and he'd left you a minus one million, that's less than nothing. How great is our God? Well, the United Nations cannot place any embargoes against the kingdom of heaven. The Supreme Court cannot reschedule Judgment Day. OPEC cannot affect the value of the treasures that we've laid up in heaven. Wall Street can't diminish the equity of our inheritance, which will never perish, spoil, or fade. When Trump was elected, the stock market dropped 800 points. But the repercussions on his sufficient grace was exactly less than nothing. His grace is still enough, more than enough. How great is our God? Verse 23 says he brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground, than he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. That's an impressive resume. When you think of all the movers and shakers of history, those who made the world tremble temporarily, the mighty pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, Alexander the Great, Suleiman the Magnificent, Ivan the Terrible, Napoleon, Lenin, Hitler, Bin Laden, all reduced to nothing. They withered and were swept away, just dust in the wind. And that's also what's going to happen to these drug cartels and the crime syndicates and the terrorist organizations. ISIS will wither and be swept away. And even the powers and principalities of darkness and evil in high places, they all have an expiry date. They will come to nothing. No, make that less than nothing. Because our God reigns. How great is our God? Verse 28 says, Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Can you imagine dealing with all the drama here on earth? That must be exhausting. We wouldn't blame God if he needed to take a break to step back or have a sabbatical. But the one who ignited the sun with a single command does not suffer fatigue. His energy is not drained by our relentless doubt and disbelief. I like the poster that said, God is not dead. He's not even tired. That's amazing because there's over 7 billion of us and many of us curse him and blaspheme and blame him for all our troubles. But God never gives up. He still offers forgiveness. And where our sins are multiplied, 
God's grace immeasurably exceeds them all. How does he do it? How does he keep going? I couldn't handle that for an, as much as an hour. I, I, it would wear me out. I'd have a nervous breakdown. How great is our God? He will not grow tired and weary. In fact, God is not even feeling sorry for himself because he's totally focused on us. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Any of us weary or weak? Life has taught me a very important lesson, that I have more weaknesses than strengths. How about you? We're just grasshoppers. But our weaknesses don't make us obsolete. In fact, God prefers to work through our weaknesses. Paul learned that with his thorn in the flesh that tormented him physically and made him weak. Now, God could have healed Paul, could have helped him recover his strength. But in this specific situation, God decided to leave him weak for a higher purpose. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And it's amazing what happened when God worked through Paul's weaknesses. And this is not just an issue for those of us who are wasting away and slowly disappearing into the tar pits. Verse 30 says, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. You see this at every single rugby game. We all have limits. Our energy runs out. We get tired and weary. We stumble and fall. That's why we have so many paramedics and physiotherapists and chiropractors, x-ray technicians, knee surgeons, orthopedic specialists and podiatrists, all trying to put Humpty back together again. And what about all the emotional wear and tear that even the young suffer, even the millennials? There's all kinds of stress and chronic fatigue and depression, especially since Trump won the election. You know, life is just not easy for anyone. And sometimes you feel like giving up. How can we go on? Well, verse 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Our strength doesn't come from our daily workout or our high-protein diet or our Tim Horton's double-double. Our strength comes primarily from hope, the hope that we've invested in God, the Almighty God, the Sovereign God, who holds the oceans in his hands and whose fingers span the universe. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And that's what renews our energy. And not just for five hours. Hope restores our momentum. Now we will experience this in different ways at different times. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. Hope helps us overcome the undertow of disappointments and disabilities. Some days you find these thermals of encouragement that just enable you to rise above your circumstances. They're updrafts that lift your spirit until you feel like you're soaring on the wind. It's like uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. 
Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. When you really do that, when you really focus on that, you, you, you're finding thermals that make you feel like you can soar forever. But of course, the weather changes. Sometimes there are no thermals. I went up in a glider a few years ago, and uh, as soon as we disconnected from the tow plane, the pilots began looking for typical areas where we could find some thermals so we could stay up there. Where would the updrafts be generated? So we went over some lakes, some housing developments, farmers combining their fields. Couldn't find any thermals that day. Now, we should have looked for a Baptist church because there's a good amount of hot air coming from those places. But the weather was not in our favor, so we just gradually glided back to Earth. Some days, you just can't find any thermals. So you're grounded but you're not stalled. Because that's when you have the opportunity to run. We will run and not grow weary. The only people who can run and not grow weary are those who are in condition, who've done a lot of running. Those of you who are serious runners go running just about every day. And that's the only way to stay in condition. And we are encouraged to do that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. But what happens if you get weary? Nobody but Forrest Gump can run forever. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If you can't soar and you can't run, well, you can walk. That was our Lord's preferred mode of travel. He didn't ride through Judea in a chariot or gallop across Galilee on a spirited stallion. Most of the time he walked. And the Hebrews would be doing a lot of walking on their way back to Jerusalem once this captivity was over. And walking is also what we do by faith. We walk by faith one step at a time. Because that's the pace of the good shepherd. Remember verse 11 of Isaiah 40? It says he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gently leads those who have young. He gathers them, the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. If you can't soar right now, and if you can't run anymore, it's okay to walk. Don't worry, God won't leave you behind. Unless, of course, you can't walk, and then you're on your own. Right? No. If you can't even walk, then he'll carry you in his arms, and you can rest your head on his chest, and you can listen to his heartbeat. You see, those who hope in this Lord will renew their strength. Father, we thank you for this promise. We claim it. We, we want to live this in our lives. We want to just experience that you are the one who enables us to soar and to run and to walk. And if we can't, you're the one who carries us. 
Thank you that you are not only great and almighty and powerful, but you are so compassionate, so loving, and so understanding. We are just absolutely thrilled to be your children and to see what you have in store for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.